Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A congressional report lists a number of persistent barriers for Native students when it comes to higher education. Because of that, Native people have statistically lower economic opportunities over their lifetimes. That helps create a cycle that contributes to the wealth gap for Native Americans. We'll assess barriers to higher education and what's being done to help students reach their full potential. That's all coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Art Hughes, in for Antonia Gonzalez. The U.S. Department of Interior's report on boarding schools continues to prompt reactions from tribal leaders. The Salt Lake Tribune reports Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez says the report is only a starting point. He said he wants to see the Interior Department follow up with plans to help Native families heal from intergenerational trauma from boarding school abuse and also create a more comprehensive report on each tribal nation's experiences. Rupert Steele, a boarding school survivor and chairman for the Confederated Tribes of the Goshoot Reservation in Utah, echoed the calls from Nez and said the federal government must address the disastrous results of boarding schools and the continuing effects on families. He calls on the government to use the opportunity to rebuild Native communities, revitalize languages and cultures, and provide the resources necessary to thrive. A new congressional analysis highlights the educational and economic barriers Native Americans continue to face, the Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent reports. The report describes multiple entrenched systemic inequities. Native Americans lack equitable access to credit and financing. They confront roadblocks to education and jobs. And indigenous people in the U.S. are facing persistent health disparities intensified by the COVID-19 pandemic. Ryan Nunn is with the Center for Indian Country Development. Some of his research is cited in the report. He says collecting more data is key to tackling these problems. So, for example, we really don't know very much at all about tribally owned enterprises, which are incredibly important in Indian country because they make up a big share of economic activity in tribal communities and they remit large revenues to tribal governments. None points to some progress when it comes to federal data collection. For example, the Bureau of Labor Statistics for decades omitted Native Americans from its monthly jobs report. That changed earlier this year. For National Native News, I'm Robin Vincent. Suggestions that Oklahoma tribes would establish safe havens for abortions against a strict new state law are irresponsible. That's the word the Cherokee Nation used in a release in response to Governor Kevin Stitt's comments over the weekend that tribes in the state could set up what he called abortion-on-demand clinics to get around the state's new law that bans abortions after six weeks. Stitt called the tribes super-liberal. In a written statement Monday, the Cherokee Nation said Stitt's comments are speculation and a disguised media campaign that is really meant to attack tribes and their sovereignty. No Oklahoma tribes have expressed intentions to build any clinics offering abortions. The Flandreau Santee Sioux tribe is expanding its cultivation capacity, citing high demand at its new medical marijuana dispensary in South Dakota. The tribe opened the dispensary 10 months ago. They are now planning two new structures, the first of which could be operational sometime this summer. Tribal Business News reports the tribal dispensary employed 50 people and serves about 10,500 people registered as patients with the tribe. That's compared to 425 patients registered throughout the entire rest of the state. 
South Dakota voters approved a measure to legalize medical marijuana in 2020. Tribes and the U.S. Army are preparing another round of repatriations of remains from the Carlisle Indian School in Pennsylvania. In a collaborative effort with tribes, Army officials are scheduled to assist in disinterring and moving the remains of seven children in July. One of those is only the second Alaska Native student to be returned. The Portland Press-Herald reports a Maine man aims to go to Carlisle, then escort his relative, identified as Anastasia Ashwack, back to Kodiak. Last July, the Army transferred nine Lakota children to the Rosebud Sioux Tribe in a ceremony that culminated in a caravan of Lakota youth to South Dakota. Also last summer, the remains of one Alaska Native Carlisle student was returned to St. Paul Island in Alaska. With National Native News, I'm Art Hughes. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by StrongHearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A new congressional report reaffirms the long-standing problem for Native Americans when it comes to accessing higher education. The report from the Democrat-controlled Joint Economic Committee points to pervasive poverty, access to credit, and technology gaps as contributing factors. The result, report points out, is lost economic progress throughout a person's lifetime, exacerbating the problem of higher education access for future generations. There are exceptions, but statistically, people with college degrees earn more over the course of their lifetimes than those without. Eight out of ten Native Americans hold less than a bachelor's degree. This hour, we're talking about the barriers to higher education for those that seek a higher degree and what's being done to change that. If you'd like to chime in on our discussion, just call 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. On our show today... And speaking with us from Alexandria, Virginia, is Carrie Billy. She is the president and CEO of the American Indian Higher Education Consortium. She's Dene. Carrie, welcome back to the show. Yate, thank you for having me here. Yate. Also joining us in Denver, Colorado, is Cheryl Crazy Bull. She is the president and CEO of the American Indian College Fund. She's Sikanju Lakota. Welcome back to Native America Calling Cheryl. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you, Cheryl. And a note of disclosure, both the American Indian College Fund and the American Indian Higher Education Consortium are financial underwriters for Native America Calling's parent company, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Our third guest today is joining us from Helena, Montana, Casey Lazar. He is the vice president and director of the Center for Indian Country Development at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. He is from the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes and the Fort Peck Assiniboine and Sioux Tribes. 
Casey, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, good afternoon, Sean. It's great to be with you. Great to have you, Casey. This new report, does it provide any new information about challenges facing Native students and access to higher education? Uh, this is Carrie. Um, I'll start. I don't think it provides any new information, um, but it. one of the things I think the Joint Economic Committee does is bring information together and put it in that obviously economic context. So it's it's bringing issues to the forefront that need to be discussed. So while it's not new information, it's important to, to keep the dialogue open. So Congress and policymakers, people across the country understand the challenges facing um, our youth, our communities, Okay. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for fielding this one. And what are the report's key findings? Well, there are several. It's a short report, so it, you know it's it's easy to access. Um, I think it the little summary that that you all did points out. Um, I think some of the, the the key points: the median family income lower for American Indians, the health status lower, the challenges of COVID impacting our tribal communities higher, much higher, and then the fact, um, which we're very concerned with, uh, about the educational status that there are that American Indian and Alaska Natives, on average, have much lower higher education attainment, lower first lower high school graduation rates, and then lower college attainment, and that impacts the economy, the individual family economy, but our our whole um, you know our tribal economies. Well, that's interesting. So, educational attainment and. This report, do you think it's going to uh, be a, a big game changer in regard to how those issues are addressed going forward throughout Native America? Well, I hope so. I hope it's a catalyst for Congress to be um, to turn attention once again to the challenges facing uh, in Indian country. Well, one of the kind of ironic things I think is that in the the summary and the conclusions they. Um, focus on some of the economic factors, but then maybe a little left out some of the education um, recommendations and strategies, or, you know, maybe it was overwhelming, but, you know, we have strategies and solutions, things that could be done to help address this issue and things that, um, you know, that Congress can do, but then also examples, things that tribal colleges are already doing to help address some of these challenges and that they have been doing for a number of years. Now, I had read some early reports that enrollment numbers at many colleges and universities suffered during the pandemic. What's been the impact of the pandemic on Native students' access to higher education? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. And it's there's no one answer for tribal colleges. We have some colleges, particularly the smaller colleges that are in the much more rural areas where the broadband has not reached the entire reservation that where um, they did drop in enrollment but we have other tribal colleges who grew their enrollment double triple 60 70 percent higher enrollment uh, that is is being maintained so um, so it's just it's really across the board but I think it shows those colleges that did increase in enrollment that shows the hunger 
among Native people for higher education, particularly higher education that's coming from, you know, their own worldview or cultural tribal uh, foundation. In addition to these students just being hungry for higher education, as you describe it, um, have these schools that saw their enrollment numbers actually increased during the pandemic? Were they doing anything else in terms of outreach or curriculum to gain the confidence of, of so many students that chose to enroll during the pandemic? Yeah, I think they did a great job reaching out to students who are living more in urban areas and areas where they're there, where tribal colleges aren't located. Tribal colleges are place-based institutions, so they're primarily providing um, a very the most affordable higher education in this country within their communities. But because of the pandemic, um, they expanded, sw- switched very quickly to online education, and then opened it up to American Indians and Alaska Natives wherever they are. So they saw their enrollment increase for mostly, uh, largely from we think urban. Indians or American Indians who aren't living near tribal colleges. But then the other thing that the tribal colleges did was lower their tuition, provide uh, no-cost tuition, free tuition in some cases, um, tuition credits, a a lot of things to make it much more affordable for students to attend. So now you can get a tribal college, uh, you know, bachelor's degree for a little over $3,000 a year for tuition. That's, That's amazing. That really is amazing. And and you hear so much about the soaring cost of tuition and related expenses for going to school. And, you know, finances is a factor that's listed in the report, specifically access to credit. And what types of credit access uh, challenges are there to Native students? Are we talking about consumer credit, student loans? That really interests me. Do you know the specifics on that? I think I'll, I'll let Cheryl Crazy Bull answer that question with the American Indian College Fund if she'd like. Sure. Cheryl, please step in. Yeah, I can speak broadly to it. So, of course, at the tribal colleges and universities, the majority of, this, of those institutions um, don't participate in student loan programs. So students rely on their eligibility for federal financial aid, uh, their scholarship programs, their own personal income. Um, rarely do students have access to family income. I think those things are, and the College Fund is just completing a study on college affordability that shows that uh, financial barriers are still named by students as one of the leading reasons why they don't go to school. But if you think about the economy that our students come from, it's not really realistic. To think that those students can uh, take on student loans. Uh, they don't live in an economic environment that they can incorporate a loan payment very easily into. So I think the whole access to credit and finance has a lot to do with your um, general well-being, that in the United States there's a belief system that you should be able to access credit access home loans, uh, those kinds of things in order to enter the middle class. And I think it's much more complex, you know, for our students and our communities. I'm glad you mentioned student loans because that is a major hot topic on the national radar right now, soaring student loan debt, especially among graduate students. And what you're telling me with regard to Native students not 
it sounds like they don't have the same need for student loans as other crises. Are you saying that the student loan crisis is not impacting Native students in the way that it's increasing students of other populations? No. So there are, I think I'm, uh, I am speaking about two different groups of students. So uh, travel college and university students don't generally participate in student loan programs at their institutions. Although students who transfer from mainstream institutions have frequently participated in student loan programs and they are in debt. And then students who attend other private and public universities invariably participate in student loan programs. So, uh, and then they end up in student debt and it creates a brain drain in our communities because our communities, uh, these students have to be able to incorporate really significant loan payments into their household budget. And oftentimes for them to stay in their communities, they can't get the kind of salary and benefits that make that easy for them. So. The research that we're doing is really examining those different categories of students and the impact of uh, student loan programs uh, on them. So we'll really look forward um, that research is really close to being published. Well, the report we're talking about today is titled Native American Communities Continue to Face Barriers to Opportunity that Stifle Economic Mobility. It was released last week. And the findings are interesting, and we'll talk more about that after the break. If you've got a question, if you've got some insights, if you're a student yourself or a recent college graduate, we'd like to hear from you and your thoughts on these issues. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Back right after break. Just days after the Department of Interior's report on boarding schools, tribal leaders are already calling for meaningful actions to continue. The comprehensive report is a landmark document compiling the federal government's efforts to eradicate Native culture and language. We'll discuss next steps for healing on the next Native America Calling. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one -on -one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top 10 rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. How important is higher education to you and your family? Are you a college-educated Native person who feels your degree has been instrumental to your success? Or do you feel like a lack of education might be holding you back? Or maybe you think you've done just fine without a college degree. We invite you to our conversation, the number 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to ask another question for Cheryl Crazy Bull, the CEO of the American Indian College Fund. And Cheryl, technology gaps are, are one of the factors that were listed in this report that came out last week as a challenge facing Native students. Can you talk about that in more detail? Where are these technology gaps our students are experiencing? Yeah, I think uh, two things. One is that COVID really demonstrated that there was an incredible lack of infrastructure 
of four both rural and urban tribal communities, reservation communities, and that the cost of that existing infrastructure was, um, you know, in many cases almost insurmountable, and the cost of updating infrastructure was insurmountable. So really the American Indian Higher Education Consortium has been particularly um, adept at navigating that to tell the story of the of the digital gap. Um, we also saw not just the infrastructure gap, but we saw the capability gap that a lot of uh, teachers in higher education across the country were unfamiliar with teaching using a virtual platform. So there was an incredible need in that space. And then people often forget that students themselves, not only do they need to overcome the kind of access and equipment gap, but they also need to be able to navigate a virtual platform. So we've seen that we've had to really extensively invest in Indian country uh, in both K-12 and higher education access to those educational resources. Carrie Cheryl just mentioned that the American Indian Higher Education Consortium has been a leader with regard to these technology challenges facing Native students. Do you have anything to add with regard to what you folks are, are doing there in Alexandria to address these needs? Well, I think, you know, it's an infrastructure challenge for students and it's an infrastructure challenge for tribal colleges, for tribal institutions of higher education. We know going into the pandemic that tribal colleges had the slowest internet access at the highest cost using the oldest equipment of any institutions of higher education, group of institutions of higher education in this country. We know that from a comprehensive study AHAC did that was funded by the National Science Foundation. So we've been working with tribal colleges to try to build up that infrastructure so they can serve their students in their communities. And one of the, we have two big challenges now. One is with NTIA, including tribal colleges. They're specifically named, but not um, haven't really been deemed eligible. They're eligible, but they, um, the requirements for NTIA for the new $3 billion tribal uh, infrastructure, broadband infrastructure fund, because of the speeds, which are household speed levels, um, tribal colleges aren't competitive or eligible for funding. And that is actually hurting tribes economically. If you don't have the kind of research institutions, um, institutions that can, can work with other institutions around this country uh, with healthcare systems, if you're leaving tribal institutions of higher education out, you're that, that economy is never going to grow. So that's a serious issue that we're trying to address. And the other is just the uncontrolled cost for students, you know, paying monthly cell phone bills or internet fees, there's no, they're not regulated. So there, you know, people, the providers can charge anything they want and our students cannot afford it. They can't afford $175 a month for a cell phone that gets spotty service, for example. You know, there has to be ongoing sustainable support for our students and our institutions. Well, that issue of the rising cost of college, and we mentioned student debts earlier and how there's a direct correlation between the amount of student loan debt out there and the rising cost of college. And 
Carrie, what's being done in addition to providing scholarship money to address these soaring rates of tuition and other expenses impacting Native students? Now, you mentioned there the tribal colleges have been very proactive, but what about students that aren't in the college, the tribal college systems? I think the what would help American Indian and Alaska Native students most um, is doubling Pell. We know that uh, 79% of the students at tribal colleges um, access Pell Grants. It's probably, you know, I don't think there's any reason to believe that our students, maybe it's slightly lower nationally among American Indian and Alaska Native students, but the Pell Grants now are um, about $6,500 per year. That's not enough. When you, you know, even for a tribal college with very low tuition, that only leaves you $3,000 extra to survive, to eat, to provide lodging. Um, so that, that's, that's not affordable. So, and then if you go to other institutions, it's even worse. So um, doubling Pell to $13,000 per year for students would go a long way in meeting the needs for American Indian and Alaska Native students. That's really interesting. Doubling Pell. So up to $13,000 would be the award. Carrie, while reviewing the report, I saw the words economic justice used often. And where do you think we're at as Native people in the quest for economic justice and, and how it relates to our students? How much more will it take to close that gap, do you think? Well, it's going to take a real commitment, which we we aren't seeing now. I think this report is one of the uh, it's one of the first steps toward you know being aware of the problem. We we in Indian country have known it's been a problem for a long time, but making Congress and policymakers, states more aware of it, that's that's beginning the steps. But there, you know, there's 400, 500 years of history that they've got to make up. So it's it's going to take some time. But one of the things that tribal colleges believe is that we will not achieve economic justice until we really invest in job creation uh, in our tribal communities on, on our homelands. And that's one thing that tribal colleges are focusing on. Otherwise, if you're just, if you're just doing workforce training, filling jobs that are going to be there, you're not going to change the economy. So to achieve economic justice, you have to have job creation. Carrie, that's a really good point, job creation. And it makes me think about what the prospects are for our Native students after graduation. And and I find it interesting that so often in our Native communities, we hear the term first-generation college student. But another term to consider is first-generation career professional. So, Carrie, what are some unique challenges facing Native college graduates who enter the workforce? We're focused on entering the workforce in tribal communities where, you know, where our place is, where we are, where, where we're from, our homelands, our reservations. So we, um, so one of the challenges is not having access to jobs that people can do on, you know, in your community where your family is because a lot of our students don't want to leave. So that's, like I said, tribal colleges are focusing on job creation, but a lot of it's, you know, it's just really limited by your own um, imagination because now we know with better internet access, with the 
the way the world is changing, you cannot be and do anything anywhere. So, there, so I think that's one of um, maybe the only positive thing that's come out of this whole these past two years is that building out the broadband infrastructure in Indian country is going to op- open up all a wide variety of new opportunities to really help us achieve that vision of, of strong, sovereign tribal nations, rebuilding our nations, creating economic opportunity and jobs. So, um, well, thank you so much for those insights. So let's, let's bring Casey into the conversation now. And, and Casey, let's talk a little bit more about these economic challenges and, and just how they impact our, our native people, students and, and others. And Casey, what is the individual effect if a native person can't muster the resources to realize their educational potential? What is, what is that impact, that effect? Well, Sean, that's a good question. You know, I think I think when we leave uh, any American Indian, Alaska Native student behind, there's going to be a negative uh, effect on the opportunities that uh, that, that I see are, are, are endless in tribal economies. And, you know, creating the pathways sort of um, it, early on in life, you know, with our, our youngest uh, of, of kids uh, to be thinking about and dreaming about um, going to college and, you know, what they, what they want to do in life is, is really uh, one of the most important things that we can do as as, as tribal leaders is to create those those pathways and create tradition you know intergenerationally across our our tribal families to see higher education as a uh, you know a, the value that it is to not only support individuals opportunity to make economic decisions themselves but to create uh, these mentors in our communities that uh, we ultimately need, right, to be able to have strong and and, and thriving uh, economies. I, I I think one of the one of the things that that Carrie mentioned on job creation um, was really particularly important. She she mentioned about being creative and being innovative. And when you look at um, when you look at uh, labor force participation uh, for American Indian Alaska Natives or or earnings, one of the things that I think is really important to understand is that in, in tribal uh, economies, there, there is a concentration of, of jobs that are particularly uh, associated with the, the public sector. So there's more public sector jobs by share than uh, in Indian country than outside of Indian country, which to me says there's a real opportunity to strengthen sort of the entrepreneurial opportunities that exist, particularly in the communities where we live, in our tribal communities, in our in, in tribal lands, and and that gets to a, a point in the in the report that I, I think is particularly important about um, these post higher education opportunities that our, our our young people face, and that is the ability to create their new jobs through business opportunities through private sector businesses and we've we've uh experienced a long-standing and chronic issue with um the ability to access affordable credit for uh for tribal entrepreneurs that really has a sort of long-term and intergenerational effect on the makeup of tribal economies 
which also has uh, an effect on um, the, the types of job opportunities that will be available to, to graduates. And I think it's one of the things that certainly the Center for Indian Country Development has been, uh, has been rece researching uh, on for a, a number of years. And it's one of those things that I, I see in this report is that the, the authors did a really good job of tying together um, all the different sort of elements of that are needed for a thriving tribal communities and how interrelated they all are. So okay. if we can provide uh, access to credit, um, that'll create opportunities for additional private sector businesses in our tribal communities for our graduates to have those jobs to, to take care of their families. Okay. Well, Casey, you, you, you brought us back into this uh, whole discussion about the workplace and careers, and I'd like to run with that a little bit. Earlier, I mentioned this whole idea of first-generation career professional, and let's look at that uh, and how that impacts young Native people on the household level and understanding these issues with credit and these issues with technology and things like that. But what about for a young Native person coming out of college, first, not only a first, genera you know, first generation college student, but also now a first generation career professional? And what does that mean for somebody if they don't have that role model of a parent that had a career, a parent that had to network, a parent that maybe had to relocate for a job, a parent that didn't have those skills for how to get ahead in the workplace, in the modern workforce and all that that entails. Um, what's your thoughts about that in regard to a young Native person that doesn't have that support system in place, but they're going out into the workforce? Well, I, I mean, I think in our tribal communities, um, what, if there is not a, a sort of a, a role model or a mentor, maybe in your family, there's absolutely role models and mentors in each one of our tribal communities that have overcome significant obstacles, that have identified uh, important ways to contribute to the health and well-being of, of our communities, and I, I, I think, um, you know, relationships. And do, in, in I'm sorry. Do, do we have those? Okay. I'm sorry. Do we? I mean, you mentioned mentoring, and do we have those mentoring programs that can assist young native professionals entering the workforce? Do you know of any that are successful that we can point to as model programs or initiatives? Yeah, well, I think there's um, in the past oh, 15 or 20 years, there there is a sort of growing sort of interventions as it relates to pairing native students with, with industry partners or industry leaders through uh, more internship opportunities to get those real hand, that real life experience in the, in the work workplace. Um, there's formal sort of mentoring programs that that exist between higher education institutions uh, and employers. And I think um, giving you know current college students you know the, those experiences in the workforce is creating you know creates a level of sort of confidence um, if there isn't those. Uh, mentors in their lives, so it gives them the, 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 that confidence to be able to to take on the risks and, and try their hand in in uh, new fields and and to take on new uh, job responsibilities. And I think those those internship opportunities are particularly important. Um, you know, as our economy shifts and changes, and as the as tribal economies shift and change. And I think that's one of those things that. Uh, needs to be underscored to give uh, our young people those opportunities to have those experiences.
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I think the challenge is connecting those young people with these mentors as you describe them and making sure that those relationships are fostered. If you've got a question or a comment, uh, the phone lines are open. Producers are standing by 1-800-996-2848. That is the number to call. The report, Native American communities continue to face barriers to opportunity that stifle economic mobility. And some key findings list that approximately one in six Native American families lives below the poverty level. The median household income among Native Americans is $25,000 a year less than that of non-Hispanic white households. More than one in 10 Native American households are unbanked. If you've got something to say about these statistics and other issues we're talking about today, we want to hear from you. 1-800-996-2848 is the number to call. We're back right after break. Are you Native American with a disability and feel you have not been able to access services for you or a loved one? The Native American Disability Law Center can help. The Native American Disability Law Center is a not-for-profit 501c3, and there is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org. Who support this show? Thanks for listening today. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're talking about higher education and some of the obstacles that Native Americans face when it comes to economic opportunity. And you can get in on the discussion by calling in 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. On our show today, we have, again, Carrie Billy from the American Indian Higher Education Consortium. We have Cheryl Crazy Bull from the American Indian College Fund, and we have Casey Lazar from the Center for Indian Country Development at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. Casey, we hear these statistics a lot about how a person with a bachelor's degree will earn more money in their lifetime on average as compared to somebody without a degree. A person with an advanced degree will earn more than somebody with a bachelor's degree and so on. But I'm always curious about that data as it applies to Native people. Do we know roughly how much more a Native person with a bachelor's degree will earn over their lifetime compared to someone without a degree, their Native counterpart? Sean, you know, I don't have that statistic uh, on hand, but um, certainly in the past, we've done some research on just the, the, the return realized by American Indian Alaska Native um, graduates, and the return is significantly high compared to, to other populations. Um, yet, uh, you know, American Indian Alaska Native graduates still uh, trail uh, earnings uh, of other uh, uh, non-native uh, graduates. And I, I think that's one of the things that's really important is as we're seeing more success of American and Alaska Native students um, graduating from college, uh, we're also seeing that for other populations because of the return of higher education is so great. Um, but when there's a wage difference um, that is, you know, up, upwards to about 15, uh, 15% or so, you're going to continue to see sort of this uh, this gap in uh, overall earnings and a gap of sort of that transition of intergenerational wealth. And and so I think that's one of the things that we need to be really conscious about is 
um, outside of higher education, what are, what are some of the things that um, can be done to uh, allow for American Indian Alaska Native folks to be able to close that gap on the ability to generate wages and, and long-term wealth? I think that's a really good point, that, that wealth gap between Native people and their non-Native counterparts. And, and, and what could be get done? I mean, what are some of these other factors besides educational attainment that, that we need to be focusing on, Casey? Well, I, I, I think I kind of go back to the point I mentioned earlier is, is really looking at the creative opportunities um, to, to create sort of private, private sector opportunities in our, in our tribal communities. I think when you see uh, the growth uh, of, of the private sector, and there's a number of, of tribes that have done a really good job supporting those entrepreneurs, you see more and more opportunities to, to earn income and to contribute to uh, your community and to stay in your community and to stay connected and um, finding ways to, uh, you know, provide the, the capital to make uh, the private sector really thrive, I think is going to have a long-term positive effect on economic prosperity in Indian country. Casey, there's this whole debate right now, and, and I need to bring it up because I do think it's so relevant in today's conversation and increasing numbers of people questioning the value of a college degree. And we see that in Native communities, outside of Native communities. They will say that the world is changing, the economy is changing, the skills necessary to compete in the workplace, um, all changing very dramatically. Some people say college isn't necessarily the best place to gain those skills. And then you add on this soaring cost of a college education. And what's your response to that when people question the value of higher education in Native communities based on some of these trends that we're seeing not just nationally, not just in our tribal communities, but globally? Well, I, I would say look at the data, right? Um, the, the returns on higher education over the lifetime uh, of a worker who's um, attained a degree at, at varying levels, uh, the numbers, I mean, the, the outcomes are in those numbers. I mean, if, if you're going to fare much better by earning that higher education uh, credential, uh, and, and so I, I think that is, you know, one of the things that uh, families need to be looking at as they're helping to counsel their, their, uh, their children as they're looking at opportunities in the future is, you know, wh wh what will higher education bring to you over the course of your lifetime? And I think that is particularly important. Um, and that's where the sort of the value of higher education really exists is not just in your first year or two or three or four years uh, outside of high school or outside of earning that degree, but the effects that it has uh, and a positive effects it has over your lifetime. And that's, that is particularly in, important. I think, Sean, the, the one thing I did want to uh, mention as it relates to sort of the, the cost of education, um, you know, certainly there's, there's opportunities on keeping costs down, um, but there is opportunities, and I'm seeing uh, some growth in terms of retention rates and time to degree, which, you know, if you shorten the, the gap on time to degree, likely you're shortening student loan debt and those obligations as you sort of begin to enter the workforce. And I think there are some really 
amazing things that are happening both in the tribal colleges and in other universities to support American and Alaska Native students get to their degree in a, a much quicker fashion. It's having a positive impact on their, their uh, obligations when they leave higher education. Well, Casey, student loan debt, we, we mentioned that again here, and also on the national radar, we hear this huge push for student loan forgiveness, and there are numbers proposed as high as $50,000 of debt forgiveness per student. How do you think a broad federal student loan forgiveness policy would impact Native students? Uh, well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I think that's um, a, a conversation that, um, you know, uh, our policymakers and, uh, and elected leaders re really need to sort of grapple with the, to understand, one, the effects of student loan debt um, in, in the long term for American Indian Alaska Natives and what interventions like forgiveness uh, might do to uh, to sort of strengthen, in this case, strengthen uh, tribal economies. And I think it's a conversation that many are sort of grappling with now. And I th think it's a conversation that is uh, worthwhile and, and, and really looking at sort of the data that's, that suggests, you know, to what degree will that have effect on both regional economies and tribal economies. So, uh, you know, certainly I'm standing on the sidelines and, and, and sort of watching uh, the conversation and, uh, unfold, uh, but really think that's you know that's up to the, the policymakers to really take a walk uh, around the issue and really uh, lean in on uh, available data to help uh, make informed decisions about these types of policy interventions. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this issue evolves and really, really uh, strong opinions on, on both sides of the issue, for sure. Let's go to the phones. We have Lynn listening in Gallup, New Mexico on KGLP. Lynn, thanks for calling in today. Hi, thank you. Thank you for your program, as always. Um, I want to just comment on something you touched on, and that's role models. I recognize the practicality of finances. Of course, but that's uh, one reason tribal colleges, uh, one of the reasons, only, but one of the reasons tribal colleges started, I think, is to make things more affordable for students in their home res areas. But on the role model question, I want to just uh, offer two things. One is that years ago, was, I was director of Indian education for Sioux City Schools, and I had a meeting with the students one time, and the high school students, and said, what, what can we do for you? What will help you? I mean, there's tutoring, there's different things. And the answer I got from most of them was, bring us some people to talk to us who are role models for us that are managing to be both uh, involved in, the, in maintaining their traditional cultural life and also uh, a new career, educated career kinds of things. And I think that's the point to me is you don't have to choose between them. If you choose higher education, doesn't mean you have to stop being involved in maintaining your traditional cultural identity and involvements. And then the second thing is that the tribal college staff people often are role models themselves. They're dealing in higher education. They're still involved in their, their communities. So there are a lot of role models around and to take up that higher ed uh, and be successful at that, to, that should enable you 
also still do things for your family and your community. So I'm just saying there are not conflicts there, except that higher ed certainly can orient you culturally to that modern, so-called modern world, a white world, and so on. But you don't have to give up the other things to get higher education. Those are my thoughts, and I thank you. Lynn, thanks for the call. And let's ask Cheryl for a comment on that. And Cheryl, Lynn talks about role models. And earlier, we were talking a little bit about mentoring programs and initiatives. But what about just uh, on a more granular or organic level? What are some things a young Native student or a young Native professional person can do on their own to seek out a strong role model? to support them as they progress through the educational and the work the workforce. Yeah, I think uh, you know I'd like to put a plug in here for the programs that the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the American Indian Graduate Center, American Indian Science and Engineering Society and uh and the Cobal Scholarship um organization as well as the College Fund. We have lots of resources that Native students can access that help them with uh, making connections to mentors, making connections to professionals in, uh, you know, a variety, a range of different kinds of fields. We have a lot of resources that students can use on their own or with others to look at career pathways, to look at how they can, you know, make their way through college. So, I just I encourage people to reach out to those resources and and use them to make those kinds of connections. I think they're really valuable. I also want to put a plug in for um, the importance of representation and visibility for Native students to have college success, and not just young people, but all Native students when they go to into higher education, they want to see themselves. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we know that there are incredible financial and uh, infrastructure barriers, but there's also that barrier uh, when uh, a place where you belong uh, is not created for you. And so tribal colleges really offer that. A lot of mainstream institutions are trying to do that. So I think the complexity of what our uh, young people experience is really important. But also recognizing that a lot of our Native students across higher education have to work. So they have to work in part-time or full-time jobs. Having access to you know, resources that help remove some of the barriers and reduce some of the costs of just daily mm-hmm. living, uh, I think is really critical to supporting you know, the kind of success that we've been talking about um, so it's much more complex than, you know, just providing people with a mentor. It's providing people with a whole toolkit of resources. And we need uh, Congress. We need foundations, corporations, you know, our tribes to step up and invest in those resources so that we can uh, share them in our communities. Absolutely. Cheryl, what do you think is driving the success of 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 tribal colleges, it just fascinates me because I went to Haskell a, a number of years ago, and there were not a lot of tribal colleges available. There weren't a lot in existence, but now 
I, you know the numbers better than me, I'm sure, but I, I know they're well over 35, I think, and and they're just growing. And you hear about so many great initiatives, and they're just so they're just taking so much leadership. What is what is that? What's 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 the magic there? Yeah, the magic is the sense of place and belonging when you go to school with each other as Native people. You know, you have that uh, environment that honors your identity and helps you learn more about who you are. You're going to school with your relatives, people who have had the same experience that you've had historically. They, they understand when um, there are ceremonial responsibilities, when there are extended family needs that have to be met. Um, people chip in and help each other. Uh, so, I, you know, these institutions, which, you know, Carrie and, and Casey can speak quite passionately about, you know, the work that uh, we do to really create that environment for Native students where, you know, they can have success because they're in their own um, place where their relationships matter. So I think that's what it is. And, you know, our spirituality really informs that as well. And we know how to be resilient. And we know how to respond when there are uh, matters that, you know, need our urgent attention, whether it's ensuring our students have resources for gas or, you know, that opportunity to eat together or need child care. Um, I think we're good at responding to that. And we're also in a position where we can help other institutions uh, learn because we're successful at educating Native peoples all across the, you know, different age groups and within our diversity. So, yeah, I think that's what it is. Well, that and these lower tuition costs, that's a, a huge selling point, a huge benefit to the tribal colleges. And hopefully those that trend of lower tuition will continue in the years to come. Well, that's all the time we have for our show today. I want to thank our guests, Carrie Billy. Sherry, Cheryl Crazy Bull, and Casey Lazar for updates and insights on barriers facing Native Americans and access to higher education. Join us again tomorrow. We're talking about the recent landmark report about boarding schools from the U.S. Department of Interior. We'll ask what needs to happen now to create healing and progress. That's tomorrow on Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. CMS program contact local Indian health care provider center for Medicare and Medicaid service Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.